Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a great break. I wanted to let you know about something that I've been talking a lot about on social media at Zibby Owens, which is the hashtag 22 and 22 challenge. We are... At Zibby Books, we are encouraging everybody, like all of you, to visit 22 bookstores in 2022. And we're going to provide a whole series of incentives for every five visits, and you'll be entered to win a $500 shopping spree, and you'll get fun things like bookmarks and all the rest. Plus, you'll be part of a great community of people all helping support 
bookstores, authors, and more. We're really, really excited about it. If you want to join, sign up. You just go to 22in22.net. That's 22in22.net and click I'm in and put your information. And then every time you go to a bookstore, you just quickly go back on the site and click log a bookstore visit. And then we'll be keeping track and we'll be following up with all of your different achievements and awards and everything. So please sign up, spread the word, 22 and 22, get your friends to join and start visiting bookstores and it'll be really fun and exciting. So here's to a wonderful 2022. I'm so excited that you're listening to my podcast and doing all the fun things that I have been trying to bring into the world. So here we go, 2022, hashtag 22 and 22. Ariana Newman is the author of When Time Stopped, a memoir of my father's war and what remains. Ariana was born and grew up in Venezuela. She has a BA in history and French literature from Tufts University, an MA in Spanish and Latin American literature from New York University, and a PGDIP in psychology of religion from University of London. She previously was involved in publishing, worked as a foreign correspondent for Venezuela's The Daily Journal, and her writing has appeared in a variety of publications, including The European, The Jewish Book Council, and The New York Times. She currently lives in London with her husband, three children, a basset fauve de Bretagne, a border terrier, and a rescue mutt. When Time Stopped is her first book. Welcome, Ariana. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss When Time Stopped, a memoir of my father's war and what remains. Thank you, Zubi. It's great to be here with you. I have to tell you, I have never had a book recommended more times to me. Everyone's like, have you read this? Have you read this? Have you read this? <laughs> so anyway. that is, That's because my mom lives in the Upper East Side and she's been telling everybody about the book. So just clearly you must know some people in common. I think that's what it is. It's just my mom. <laughs> I know, the bookstore that my mom always orders books, like my anthologies or whatever, just got like bestseller, you know, it was one of the top. And I was like, that was totally my mom. Like my mom just bought too many books for that bookstore. Anyway, I mean, I'm kidding, but kind of not. Anyway, when time stopped, this is like the wrong tone for this, like deeply, you know, emotional Holocaust survival mystery detective work story. Can you tell listeners a little about what this book is about, if this is the first that they're hearing about it? So the book really, I mean, it's nonfiction, but it's really a detective story. I guess it's my detective story. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a detective and I wanted to solve mysteries. And I grew up in Venezuela in the 70s and 80s. And I guess little did I know then that the mystery I was going to solve was that of my dad. And it did take me quite a long time. So I didn't solve it when I was a little girl detective, but I still feel that, like, like that little girl detective. And the book really is about my journey trying to, I guess, fill my father's silences or just to solve the mystery of the things that he didn't tell me about. So it's, I guess it really is just a book about a daughter trying to figure out who her father really was and what it is that he didn't tell that little girl about his past. And what I uncover is quite incredible, right? So I think when we when we come along and we look at our fathers, our parents actually, not our fathers, fathers and mothers as adults, we often realize, often when it's too late, that they were these whole incredible people and not just these sort of, you know, not just our mom and dad. And, you know, often we do so after they're gone and we just miss out on so much. Anyways, it turns out that I barely knew my father and that my father just simply could not talk about his past. And that past included a family of 34 people. He was, he came from a Jewish family. He was born in Prague 
And when they were all deported to concentration camps around the Third Reich, my father absconded and decided to hide. And he decided to hide in plain sight. And he did a really completely insane thing for a 22-year-old Jew wanted by the Gestapo, which is he decided he was going to go to Berlin and, you know, hide or not hide at all, just pretend to be someone else and work in a Nazi factory for two years. So that's what I uncovered. So I guess the book is about, it's really about my father and his family, but it's also a little bit about my journey, discovering all this and traveling through time to recover my lost family and get to know my dad. Oh my gosh. Well, your story is so powerful and the way you write is so amazing. You know, you're immediately drawn in and you talk in the book about the first time when you discover it and you tell your mom that you discovered like his identity card, which of course you put in the book, which is great. I love all the visuals, by the way. So many books don't have these and like the introduction of all the elements and the objects and the cards and photos. It's, it's amazing because this time of history is like, you know, you have to well, share all the... Thankfully, it anchors you, right? I mean, and Publishers often, as you're doing your own, you know, you're starting your own publishing house, publishers don't like pictures, right? Because it increases the costs. And I just think sometimes when you're doing this kind of stuff, it's so important to have to have the visuals, right? And just to yes. you know, picture what people look like and what documents look like and what, you know, the little scrap of paper that can look so simple can have, you know, so much meaning in someone's life. Anyway, sorry. No, don't say sorry. I love your. You're right. I want to talk about all this stuff. No, I have this memoir coming out actually, and I've been asking my publisher, but now you're inspiring me to ask her again. So sorry, Carmen, but you know, my, in my memoir, I talk about all these people who have passed away who I loved, and I really want their pictures in there, right? Because you can. It's one thing to describe them, but it would. It's. I don't know. It's like a that. Then it becomes like a. I don't know. A memorial of sorts. Anyway, whatever. Anyway, I just wanted to read this one paragraph not that just as a show of your writing and everything, when you told your mom and you said, you know, Poppy, you're saying to your mom, he is pretending I have proof. He is not Hans. His real name is Jan, maybe mommy. He wasn't born on February 9th. He is lying. He is an imposter. I don't remember anything else from that day. The identity card with the stamp of Hitler and its photograph of my father jolted me to a sharp and unexpected focus. It brought to the fore every other tiny fissure in my understanding, all the minuscule silences and unanswered questions that had been invisible before. It was then that I first sensed that hidden beneath my father's strengths and triumphs were shadows cast by nameless horrors. So terrible, they had to remain unuttered. The averted eyes, the pauses a second too long, the eschewing of reminiscence had until then passed mostly unnoticed. Finding the photograph in the box was the pivot. It marked here, one more sentence, it marked the exact moment when the unfilled spaces, the cracks in the narrative emerged. Oh my gosh, so good. <laughs> Anyways, it's, you know, but it, it's, it, that was really the moment for me, right? That was, I think that was the moment where, you know, when you grow up as a kid, you, you just presume whatever is around you is normal, right? And then all of a sudden you realize that actually that wasn't normal. Not everybody had a dad who had to pretend to be someone else. Okay. So you found your father's card. You realized everything was not as it seemed. You decide to go on this hunt later for all the truth and you use all your detective skills and find out these incredible stories. One of which the essay you wrote for the Jewish council about the ring with the Z on it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, and you actually have it on. Wow. That story was amazing. I didn't know that anybody had ever been able to sneak in and then get out again. It's like unthinkable to me that you could get into a camp, like deliver goods. I also didn't even realize that there could be effective enough communication that they knew what 
the people needed it, even with the hair dye to make your, who was it? Your grandfather, grandfather, yeah. your grandfather look younger and all of that. I mean, that story is amazing. Well, I think we know very little. I mean, we know very little. We, I, I thought I knew about the Holocaust. And then as I started researching, you realize that there were all these things that actually were possible that you didn't know. And it, it did require enormous amounts of courage, right? So this woman who was married to my uncle, when she discovers that my grandmother is in Theresienstadt, and Theresienstadt was a particular type of camp. So it was a ghetto. It wasn't like Auschwitz, Auschwitz, which was a murder camp. So maybe it was a little bit easier to again get in and out of there. It was also originally a fortress. So it didn't have the sort of barbed wire. It had just guards. And you know, I mean, and, and and obviously these camps were all run by elders, by Jewish elders, and they had contacts in the outside. So they could, I mean, you you couldn't really communicate with the prisoners, but you could have some idea as to what it was that people needed. And if you had white hair, the Nazis would consider you old. And if they considered you old, they thought you were useless. And if you were useless, then you might as well be dead. So my grandfather knew that he had to use hair dye because actually every, every single man in my family has, by the time they're 30, they have white hair. Actually, that includes my husband, who's obviously... <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just a sort of... Anyways, we're, maybe we're genetically attracted to... I was going to say, maybe, or maybe you need some DNA tests on your husband or something. I don't no. know. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's all I need. <laughs> so anyway, so my grandfather in 1943 in Theresienstadt knew that he needed hair dye because he had white hair. He was in his early 50s and he was a really strong man. But he, if he, you know, if he looked old and he was malnourished, he would be sent to Auschwitz and he didn't want that. So there's this remarkable woman who's a Gentile, so she's not Jewish. And she decides that she's going to sneak into the camp. And actually, at that, the, the first time she sneaks in, she goes in to see my grandmother. So it's 1943. My grandmother, has, is, it's August. They've just realized that my grandmother hasn't been sent to a camp called Sobibor, which is where they, they thought she had been sent. And it was a good thing that she wasn't sent because uh, that transport was all short on arrival. But my grandmother fainted in the transport. And that, ironically, that sort of saved her life for a little bit because she fainted. They carried her off the train and they left her in Theresienstadt. So a few months later, my family get news that she is in there. And this remarkable woman, she's called Stenka, and she's beautiful and strong and bold and she's a lawyer and she drives her own car and she's she's just this fabulous soul. And I've never met her, but I met her daughter who's equally wonderful. Anyways, Stenka sneaks into Theresienstadt. She sews a yellow star on her coat and figures out a way to do it. She joins the people that were working in the fields in the morning. And then when they come in for their sort of measly soup at lunchtime, she walks into the camp with them, finds my grandmother and spends a few you know, minutes with her, brings her some shawl and brings her some, some supplies and brings her actually what she really, really needed, which was hope. And I'm super lucky that she then, set, Stenka sets up a system of contraband. So I have letters from my grandmother from the camp describing this moment when Stenka sneaks in, when she just looks up. And after three months of just being just incredibly depressed because she finds herself in these absurd, horrendous circumstances, she sees her beautiful daughter-in-law who's come over to 
you know, just to show her how much she loves her, really. And that gives her this hope that then is is sort of, you. I find throughout all the letters, this sort of hope that it's all going to be okay, that she's going to be reunited with those that she, she loves. And then Stenka again sneaks into the camp in 1944 to bring, by then they couldn't find hair dye because it was the war and it was difficult to find things. But she brings shoe polish for my grandfather because the system of contraband was failing as, you know, not, not, not everything works perfectly all the time, especially in wars. And Stenka figures that if she doesn't take it in herself, my grandfather is not going to get his hair darkened. So she sneaks in again. So she's this incredible character to me. She's actually the hero of the book because, you know, my father and all my family, they didn't have a choice. They, they either went or they chose to, you know, stay outside and be brave maybe but it was to save their own skin. But it's this incredible woman who had a choice, right? And she could have turned away. She could have said, she could have chosen a much easier life. I mean, she was beautiful. She was wealthy. She was, you know, she had the whole of Prague at her feet. And she chose to marry my uncle, who was this shy, lovely Jewish boy, you know, and she chose to marry him in 1939. Not that many people were doing that, right? Right. Wow. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So you, I mean, and you're literally wearing, for people listening, you're wearing the ring that your grandfather would ends up hammering out himself and doing as a as a thank you note, essentially the most beautiful thank you note in the history of the world, perhaps. It's incredible, right? Because it's a piece of copper and it's the only thing he could get his hands on. And my grandfather, I, I mean, people listening won't, won't be able to see it. It's, it's not necessarily the most beautiful thing in the world when you look at it. But I think when you hear the story behind it and you hear that it's, it's really a way of saying thank you to this woman who was so brave that she kept them alive for this long, it, it acquires a whole new beauty to it, right? That's it. So it, it was fashioned by hand. It was a copper pipe. It was probably a pipe that was meant destined for plumbing. So it's really not a fine thing. It's not made of silver or gold, but he made it with his own hands. And it's the only thing I have of his, the only thing that I have that he, 
you know, aside from the letters, really, but it's the only object that I have that I can hold and that I can wear around my neck that my grandfather, who I never met, actually not only touched, but made. So I, you know, sometimes like, well, obviously because I'm chatting to you, but also it's, you know, it's a, it's a tricky day today because we have to let go of our dog and it makes me sad. So whenever I need a little bit of extra strength and a little bit of grounding and I'm, you know, don't want to feel sorry for myself or I feel like I need a, a little bit of a, an extra boost that comes from the people that came before you, I wear the ring. And, it, you know, it's, it's a bit like those rings that give you superpowers that you read about in comic books, right? My, my son's obsessed with Marvel and, and all these superheroes. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit like that. It's, it's a ring that gives me superpowers. So when I'm wearing it, I feel like I can, I can fly. Oh, that's so beautiful. I mean, it's, it's just, it's almost unbelievable that you can have that object in your possession that I mean, it's just uh, the likelihood of it happening is so slim. It's like a total miracle, right? It's a miracle. I know, but there were so many miracles in the story, you know, and it, and it started, it didn't start off as a book. It started. Yeah, as I was going to ask you, I'm sorry. Journey, right? So it, it started, it just all started as a very personal journey of this, of, of discovery. I wanted to solve the mystery of my dad. And I also finally, when he died, because he never spoke about this, but when he died and left me this box with the same ID card that I found as a child, I, I figured it was his way of saying, okay, you have permission he never really, I think, wanted to overwhelm me with the stories. Or, I mean, overwhelm me is, but, you know, I think he he felt they were maybe a little dark, but he left them there so that I could piece it all together. So how does this affect, like, when you spent all this time, like, well, first of all, how long did this journey take you to discover everything? And so, you know, I, I obviously I found the ID card when I was nine. I then, you know, there were little moments throughout my life in my 20s where I, I got little snippets of the story, but very, very few. And it wasn't until my father died in 2001 that I finally felt I had permission and I had a bunch of documents. And I was just having kids, right? So my father died three weeks before my eldest son was born. And I can't and believe, by the way, you cremated your father on 9-11, the day of the attacks. Oh, oh my gosh. And I had my stepdad in New York and he worked at Merrill Lynch right in front of the... I mean, anyways, it, was, it, was, it was a horrific day for so many people. And I'm lucky that my stepdad is, is actually still with us. So, but it was... It, it, it's just incredible. But I felt in 2001 that I finally had permission, but it was completely the wrong time, right? So I was I was having kids. I thought I had to be positive. You know, you can't really sort of, I don't know, research the Holocaust and, and then go upstairs and, and read sort of the Gruffalo to your kids, right? I mean, maybe some people can't, but I felt I, felt I couldn't. I felt I'd burst into tears. And then slowly at the same time, because I was having children, I wanted to know where I came from and what it was that I needed to pass on to them, right? And if I don't know where I come from, how do I know? Well, I don't know where I want to go. And how do I know what it is that I need to, you know, just tell my children, right? So slowly, slowly, I started becoming a little bolder and asking more questions. And it wasn't really until about 2010, 2009, 10, that I really start asking more questions that I get letters translated, that I get documents translated. So the whole thing probably takes me about 10 years, but it doesn't become a book until 2017. And actually it becomes a book because I start telling these stories as a way of coping with all the 
I guess all the sadness, but also as a way of keeping these people, these beautiful people that helped my family and these beautiful people that were my family that I couldn't meet as a way of keeping them alive. So I start telling everyone I meet, right, that this whole sort of process. And I end up telling this man, it was January the 2nd, it was 2017. And they, it was someone that had met my father and he was 89 at the time. And we were at a restaurant in the Upper East Side called Antonucci's, which is this lovely Italian restaurant. And I, you know, this 89 year old man said, it has to be a book. And I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, my, my husband always says it has to be a movie. And he said, no, it really has to be a book. And actually that started a whole process where I ended up speaking to a scout who lives in Connecticut, who put me in touch with my agent who was in London and who said, this is an incredible story. Have you ever written anything? And I said, yeah, you know, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to be a writer and I've written a few essays, but they're not really good enough that, you know, and she said, well, show them to me. And that's how it became a book. And, you know, so pretty quickly after it was a proposal and then and I had written about 70 pages and then Scrivener bought it. So it's it's completely surreal. It's a book, right? I mean, to me, it's completely surreal that it's the book. I still pinch myself because it didn't start off its life like that. But it's allowed me to do what I always wanted to do. Wow. Which was a detective and a writer. So there you go. <laughs> do, do you ever feel like you want to help other families? Like, like has this started an interest? Yes. I mean, it's interesting. I, it's interesting. One of the things I'm, I, I've been, is I've, I've volunteered, I still have to go and, and interview people at the Association of Jewish Refugees in, in England. And a lot of them actually don't tell their stories when they're in their 50s and 60s and 70s. And it's only when they're older and they find a little bit, perhaps a little bit more, I don't know what it is, whether it's time or whether it, they just think, okay, faced with death, what am I leaving behind, that they start telling these stories. So they, the Association of Jewish Refugees provide a way, it's actually called My Story, and these people, these, these Holocaust survivors, or at least Jewish refugees, can actually tell their stories. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing that. I've got, a, you know, I get a lot of letters of people saying, can you help me? Can, how did you structure it? How did you do it? And I love doing that. And I, you know, I love solving mysteries. So it's, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure I'm going to become a genealogist, really. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to become a sort of storyteller and a detective or keep on being a detective. But yes, no, absolutely. It's, it's helped me realize that, it, you know, that I love writing and I love writing not so much. Well, I love writing because I love writing, but I never thought it was good enough. And all of a sudden I realized that it's not so much about whether the writing is good enough. It's about the stories that you tell. And it's about the importance of those stories or the connection that, you know, the reader feels with those stories. So. Well, your writing is also really amazing. But no, the, com- very- the, no, the combination of a great story to tell and telling it well, I mean, that's why it's like hard to put down, you know, it's engrossing and amazing. And oh my gosh, the thing that keeps hitting me over and over is just like that how many stories like this there are, right? I, sometimes when you just, when I try to wrap my head around, I've read a lot of Holocaust stuff over the years, many, many, many books about it. And I, it never ceases to inspire me, like what the lengths people will go to for the people that they love and the strength that they have inside them. Like what you said about like the magic power of the ring. It's like, really? I'm like, it was hard for me to have a birthday party for my son last night. Are you kidding me? You know, seriously, like, you know, when, when we think about all the things that go on, all the things, you know, I, I don't know. It just put, it helps put things in perspective. Let, let me just say it that way. 
Well, and there are some incredible stories out there. And I, I, the other thing that I've realized now, because I've been doing research on a second book, is how little we know of those stories and how the stories that we're told have so much to do with, you know, with the way countries tell histories, for example. And when you have stories that span different countries, often they get untold because it's not, if it's not an American story, it doesn't get told in American history. And if it's not a German story, it doesn't get told. In, so often you lose these stories because they're not in the sort of, in the country's narrative or in the family's narrative or, you know, anyways, so there's so much out there. Sorry, I think we all have incredible stories to tell, right? I think, I think we all, if you look back at our family, especially the gener that generation, right? The people that grew up and lived through the 20th century, it's just, it was, there was so, 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 such tumult, such, such opportunity to be brave and to be heroes, right? To be heroic that I think we need, we really need to remember to ask our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents if they're still around to share a little bit of that with us because if we don't you know often they don't it, it's sort of tough to bring up the holocaust in the middle of you know sunday lunch right with your grandchildren so i think we just need to give older people permission to share those incredible stories which are so inspiring it's true with us Right. Wait, what is your next, what is your next book? Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I'm sort of torn, actually. I've been doing a lot of research on this incredible story of refugees that gets put in a boat, but I'm not, I, I need to figure out how to handle it. So that might be book three, but I've been researching a lot on it and it's sort of, it's tied in. It's about how we treat the other or who we perceive as the other when in reality, actually that, you know, everyone is the same, right? There is no other. That's beautiful. Anyways. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? It seems like such a simplistic question after all of this like meaning of life discussion and like survival and whatever. No. And now I'm talking about like craft and like, you know, quick tips for writers, but I don't know. You know believe in yourself. I think you write, you have to write. The first thing I would say is just believe in yourself and don't get, you know, I, I, I have all these degrees in literature and I would read, you know, I, I don't know, did a lot of 19th century and I'd read Balzac and, you know, and then I read lots of sort of 20th century French writers. I read Duras and Modiano and I just think, no way am I ever going to write like that? And, and, and I'm right. I'm never going to write like that, but it doesn't matter. I still have to write. So just believe in yourself and do it. I mean, I didn't write my first book until I was in my mid forties and I want to write a lot more. And my middle child who is studying English is a writer actually she's 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 and she's ever since she was a little girl she wanted to write so I tell her listen it's really tough to make a living from writing but it doesn't matter just write and you know do what you love believe in yourself it doesn't matter if you get no's and no's and no's keep on doing it and just write from the heart I think if you write from the heart and you're honest in your writing then you know you connect to readers and good things happen at some stage, right? You just have to be patient and keep on writing. And, and again, you know, keep on believing on your, in yourself when, even when other people don't. Thank you, Ariana. I know you have so much going on today. So many different emotional stressors on every part of your life. So thank you for taking the time to sort of go back <laughs> in history and discuss this book and your family and everything. Because once again, now it's inspired, it's inspiring more people. It's amazing just to keep it going. And I don't know. It's, it's really, really special. So thank you. Thank you so much, Libby. It's been a huge joy. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.